Today, it's all about elevating your wedding photography on Behind the Shot. Hi, as always, welcome to Behind the Shot. I'm Steve Brazel, your host. This is the show where we try and get inside the mind of great photographers by taking a closer look behind one of their shots from conception to completion, all those stories and challenges that happen in between. I've got a great show lined up for you today. First of all, quick reminder for you, I do have a new live remote class. No risk to you. It's all remote, but it is live coming up at Princeton Photo Workshops. It's going to be in April of 2021. So if you're watching this video after that, you can fast forward this part, but uh, PrincetonPhotoWorkshop.com is the site. It's the challenges of low light action photography. If you are watching this on YouTube, I would like to ask that you please do take the time right below the video, click the subscribe button. And again, you need to click the bell and choose all. Otherwise it's entirely possible that I will release something and you won't know it. It's just the way that their algorithm works. And that brings us up to today's episode for today's episode. I've got a guest on that I have been aware of for a long, long time, I follow actually on, on social media, like Twitter, I watch all the Twitter stuff coming from this person, uh, but it is wedding photographer and Canon explorer of light, the amazing Vanessa Joy. How are you? I'm doing really well. How are you doing? I'm doing quite well. It is so nice to meet you in person because I'm serious. I follow you on social media. I think I just emailed you the other day that I was on Clubhouse, just kind of browsing yes. around, seeing what's there. <laughs> And you were in a room with Jared Polin, uh, Frono's photo, mm -hmm. for those people that don't know uh, Jared's real name. Um, so I've been aware of you for a long time. But what's interesting is, as I was researching you, which I do, I found out stuff about you I didn't know that was oh. really fascinating to me. So let's start here. You are a photographer, and I introduced you as a wedding photographer. Mm -hmm. But correct me if I'm wrong. You're far from just a wedding photographer. You photograph all kinds of things, right? Well, I certainly hope so. <laughs> wedding photography is what gets me paid. It's the bread and butter. It's what I typically, you know, do my marketing towards. But I do a lot of other stuff that's slowly starting to become about even. So portraits and YouTube, tons of education, Lots of it, all of it, as <laughs> much which, as I can do. It's a problem, really. Which kind of leads to the other things that you do. You're a Canon Explorer of Light. I mentioned that, and the you know there's very few Canon Explorers of Light. Well, I'm going to touch on that again in a second. That number in the Canon mm -hmm. Explorers of Light. But you're an educator, so you do speaking gigs, you do uh, workshops, things like that. I was talking mm -hmm. to Larry from Platypod about you, and he said he watched one of your workshops, and you made a statement that I love. <laughs> about Central Park. When you take people yes. to Central Park, I'm going to let you say it. Tell me uh -oh. the bit about Central so, Park. So I photograph in Central Park almost constantly, engagement sessions galore. But truthfully, Central Park is where light goes to die. It does. It is just, it, it sucks up all light because it's set down in New York City. Most people don't realize that. It's actually set down, at least in the more popular parts, which just means all the buildings, all the greenery, there's nothing but green reflecting everywhere. And it just, it sucks up the light. The only time I really enjoy photographing in Central Park is towards the end of autumn when you've got different color leaves there. So at least you've got something else than this green that's killing skin tones. You know, one of the things, though, my buddy David Bergman photographs in Central Park periodically, too. And I one of the things David. I do yeah. uh, like about Central Park, I've never photographed there, but I can imagine is, and for people who've never been to Central Park, depending on where you're seeing this, it's hard to believe how big Central Park is. 
you could shoot in Central Park for years and never have to use the exact same spot that there is. Um, Along with all of that, you're an author as well. I want to touch on the book here in just a minute. But first, I I mentioned I was going to come back to the Canon Explorers of Light thing. Last time I looked, there's only five wedding photographers or people that shoot the wedding genre as part of their workflow in the Canon Explorer of Light. Does it ever hit you? what rare company you are in as, as being an EOL? It definitely does. Cause I look at that. I know there's maybe 30 ish explorers of light overall right now, but when I go look through that list, it's like, Oh, well, that person does these awesome national geographic stuff. And this person is photographed like Larry Chen photographing these race cars that it's the coolest thing in the world. And then I'm like, I do weddings. Yeah. But you know what? Okay. See, I know people who have that attitude, but let's be honest. I always say, like, I'm a live music photographer. And I tell people I firmly believe live music photography is the most difficult photography you will ever get, kind of except weddings, right? Because I don't have to talk to anybody. I DJed weddings for 18 years. I had a DJ business. Oh, you know then. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah, it's just absolutely nightmarish. I'm going to actually bring that up probably again as we go through. But (laughs) but what you do in shooting weddings is so much more than photography, right? It's the mother of the bride and it's the bridal party that's drunk and it's the bride and groom. (laughs) And I'm going to use one that I had at a wedding once. The bride hit the groom with the cake after the cake cutting. Nice. Uh, (laughs) Or the one where I had a groom hit the bride with the cake and she looked at him. She wiped off. And she walked over and got her purse and pulled her keys out, walked outside and drove away. This is after the cake cutting. And I'm going, you know, anybody want to dance? I, yeah, (laughs) just, it's a hard thing. And you, you raised the game, right? So you photograph, you're based in New Jersey, right? Yes, I am. But you do New York City, you do Manhattan. You also do Austin and Dallas. Yes. That's because I'm moving from New Jersey to Austin, Dallas at around December of this year, 2021. Waiting for the snow so, to go away? Yeah, because it's that's one of my biggest reasons for moving is that I want to get away from the cold Not and it's anymore, awful here. Not anymore. Yeah, well, that only happens once every 113 years. So I figure, okay. glad it's happening okay. now. I'll be there when it's done and then it'll never happen in my life again. With that. Good luck with that. <laughs> uh, but you also do, for those that are listening that need a wedding photographer, by the way, New York City, Manhattan, New Jersey, Austin, and Dallas. But you're in a you're in that group of photographers that do destination weddings. So I mean, if somebody wanted to get married in Greece and wanted you to go, you would do that. Not a lot of people do that, and it to me it adds to that complexity, right, that we were talking about. But as I'm researching you and I'm reading your blog and I'm reading your about page and great about page by the way, I love your about page. <clears throat> Reminded you. me in some ways of Scott Kelby's about page. But your mom was a wedding photographer? She was. Mm -hmm. Is that why you do this? Uh, That's why I hated photography, actually, to begin with. (laughs) Well, I was a very rebellious child. So naturally, uh, well, I'll, I'll back it up even further. My grandmother was actually one of the first, she was the first woman spokesperson for the Senate in New Jersey. So 
long line of female strong uh, personalities, but my mother did weddings and portraits and I was homeschooled for nine years. So while she did weddings and portraits and would photograph all the portraits for the homeschooling groups, I would go with her and I would help her and I learned light and studio light to an extent. I learned how to make it function. I wouldn't say I actually learned it until later, but to me, it was like, you know, you're you're 15 years old. I was 15 years old when I finally went to high school. And it's like, the last thing I want to do is do what I've been doing, you know, helping my mom's photography. But as she was sitting next to me and I'm picking my classes and they're asking me what kind of elective I want, you know, photography comes up. And I just must've felt like pleasing my mom that day. I am a little bit of a people pleaser. So I was like, fine, I'll take photography. And it was the first time I was ever in a dark room and actually developed my own stuff. Cause you know, I would help her and we would just send it out. Right. And it comes back. And I just fell in love with it. You couldn't drag me out of that dark room. I'd be skipping classes and the teachers would get mad at my photography teacher for letting me skip the class. Cause I was still in the dark room. See, <laughs> It was the whole thing. Isn't it weird how sometimes you like growing up, I had no interest in photography and I'm a network guy by trade. So I'm a geek. Had I known that photography was geekery, I would have gotten into photography long. I would have loved to have worked in a dark room, and I never did. I just didn't know. It's it's the best. It's still I still every once in a while will go to a dark room in Brooklyn, uh, the Bushwick dark room, and you can just go there and rent by the hour and develop your stuff, and it's so much. So fun. you I still just, shoot I love film? The smell of fixer. For fun, I don't do it nearly enough because I pile my calendar with way too much work for too much right. fun. But if I'm going to do my own fun stuff, it's it's going to be film. I like that. Sure. I, I, yeah. Being a destination wedding photographer, what what's the uh, the most remote place that you've ever shot? Oh, let's see. I tend to forget. I have a horrible memory. I've shot in you know Aruba. I'm pretty sure Mexico. Uh, Napa Valley, London, but I just got hired a couple that got married during 2020, just like eloped courthouse hired me uh, for this year, 2021 to go photograph them in France at this. Oh, I always forget the name, but it's like this um, monastery that is mm. on like a water and Island and it's, Oh, I cannot wait. So that will probably be like the most amazing one. I can't wait. I love France too, by the way, I love South France. What was the hardest place that you've ever gone to? Meaning, cause when you go, you've got to get gear there and everything else. What was the most difficult yeah. destination location? Um, Mexico because they harassed me. So you can only bring in, yeah, well, so, you know, when you go into other countries and I didn't know this at the time, you have to have work visas really. And if you go in with too much equipment, which I think for them was $3,000 worth of equipment, maybe it was 10, but whatever it was, if you go in with too much equipment, they, they think you're going to sell it and, you know, they're not getting the taxes on it. So I'd gone to Mexico, photograph a wedding and, um, they, they just harass me up and down. Thankfully, I do speak Spanish, so I was able to appeal in some kind of way and, you know, make them understand that I wasn't selling my gear. And I really was going, like, for a friend of a friend. I mean, I was getting paid, but not, like, a ton. And um, every time, they just harassed me, and they ended up making me check my carry-on bag, which had all of my gear, because that's what you do. Ooh, yeah. you, you, you check, you know, you check bags that have like stands, maybe extra batteries, not the lithium ones, things like that. 
maybe your flash or speed light, not like the essentials that you need. And they made me check my bag. And I remember like, so livid, so livid. Thankfully it was on the way back. They didn't make me check it on the way there. Um, and they're like, well, you know, they're trying to think of reasons. Cause I'm like, there's no reason that you're making me check this bag. I'm boarding first. There's room on this plane. You're like, you're just trying to probably right. steal my crap. And, um, which is the only way I've ever lost a camera, by the way, uh-huh. was I had, yeah, a, I had a video it, camera it in, a, in a piece of suitcase and clearly mm-hmm. somewhere on the luggage line. And, and matter of fact, it was in New York. Uh, somebody went through the bag and, and, Yep. Pull, pulled it out. And there's happened. no accountability whatsoever no, when none. that happens. Like none. zero. And it yeah. is literally, and I didn't have a shoot I had to worry about or anything like that. It was a personal you know, thing for a vacation. But I had my, you know, my shots on it that I wanted. But more than that, it just, you feel, yeah, it, it, yeah it's such a horrible Violated. Uh, I mentioned earlier, you're an author. Mm-hmm. And along with being an author, your photos themselves have been published in the Knot and Rangefinder and Grace Ormond and Brides and a bunch of other things. And your book, and I'm going to try and get the title, The Off-Camera Flash Handbook, 32 Scenarios for Creating Beautiful Light and Stunning Photographs. Did I get it? That's it. Okay. That's it. <laughs> so I love the title because I think in many ways, that's the way I like to learn, Right. You could, you could write me an entire instruction book and I'd be like, you know, dr- it gets dry halfway through. Giving me preset scenarios, that, that uh, almost recipe assembly type thing, mm-hmm. uh, I just think is really smart. I'm curious what made you think of that, that concept of writing as opposed to here's how you do light. It's here's scenarios that you can pick and choose. When I wrote that book, I I wanted to be the opposite of every flash book I've ever seen out there. I've seen a ton of them and no offense, they all suck. <laughs> At oh. least they all suck for people like me who were just trying to learn flash and it's super intimidating and it's super difficult. And every book I read was always starting off with like trying to explain inverse square law. And I'm like, what are we doing I know. here? I know. Like, nobody's going to be like, Oh, great. Let me just practice them in first square law right now. And it, it just doesn't make sense. So I, a lot of what I do in my YouTube channel, in my education, it's all about making flash more accessible to natural light photographers and then showing natural light photographers that, Hey, you can actually enhance your natural light, get your natural light whenever you want it, as opposed right. to just being ruled by the circumstances. You know, it doesn't have to look like flashy, right? So I like, let me make this book. I want it to be something that you can thumb through. For, I got to do a nighttime shot at my next wedding. Let me go to the sunset shot section. And I got something that I can use. Skip the chapter where I kind of do explain inverse square law on high speed sync. And, you know, all those things are in there, but they're in there in a very light touch and go because I just want to give people confidence to start using it because it's the only way you're going to get better. Not by reading all the things by starting to do it. Yeah. And see, I'm the same way. Everybody learns differently. Mm-hmm. I tend to learn visually video works very well for me. I have difficulty learning from text in a book. If that text in a book is properly illustrated with photos or drawings, I, that helps me a great deal. And it's the same type of a thing as I know people that you, you can teach them X, Y, Z and what they'll learn is X, Y, Z. They won't learn 
X works here, Y works there. You can use X and Y together yeah. over there. It's it. There is a completely different concept between learning a topic and learning how to apply a topic. Yeah. And that's what this title says to me is I'm going to show you how to apply it almost first. And by applying it, you'll learn it. Right. I, and yes. I love that. And by the way, the book is available on Amazon. I will have links in the blog post at BehindTheShot.tv as well. Uh, Thank you. You know, along with that, one of my favorite places, Creative Live. You've got 11 classes at Creative Live. Kenna Klosterman is one yeah. of the nicest human beings on the planet. Um, she is. But you've got a ton of classes at Creative Live. You've got preset packs available, which is another thing I like because a lot of people do preset packs, in my opinion, at least. It's kind of like what you said about all those other flashbooks, Right. Uh -huh. Everybody who's got Lightroom <laughs> creates presets. Hey, buy my presets. And it's like, but you know, you're really, your work isn't speaking to me, right? Mm -hmm. In your particular case and genre, you have such a style about you, about, about your, your art, that for people who want to elevate their game, I'm going to say elevate their wedding photography, but elevate any part of their photography, using presets like yours as a, um, as a jump start, starting as point. A, yeah. yes, as a starting point, understanding that I wouldn't recommend you use the preset and leave it there unless, I mean, I mean, if you click it and it's like magic, okay, stop. But generally <laughs> right? yeah, it's like, woo, but I just did that on mic. That wasn't okay. I'm going to live that one. Though. <laughs> um, but still, I mean, if you click the preset, and it gets you 80% of the way there. That's really what they're for. And your your whole education thing, okay, you've got classes on. I'm going to go back to kind of creative live here. Sales, which is another interesting one, because let's be honest, 80% mm -hmm. of any photography business is the business side. Lighting. Absolutely. Uh, social media. Speed posing, which we'll get to in a second. But then you had this one. Yoga for photographers. And next month, well, actually within the next couple of weeks, there'll be more on there for yoga for photographers. It is my best-selling class in Creative Life. <laughs> Are you serious? Very serious. Yeah. It is by like the number of sold courses. It is my number one class. My wife would love that. Uh, absolutely amazing. You have... So before we get into the shot, which we're going to do, I apologize, everybody, that we're going on so long, but I've wanted to talk to Vanessa for years, literally. So this is like a big joy to me. Uh, <laughs> you have, we talked about posing. You have a speed posing course at speedposing.com. So everybody mm -hmm. go check that one out. But you actually even have a free posing, like, inspiration. I think it's guide. actually called Inspiration Guide, right? Yes, it is. Yep. Okay. So yes. that's kind of everything people you need to go check out Vanessa's work. And again, in my opinion, that's kind of what you're known for is you have, uh, and it's it's funny, I just, as I was gonna say this, it hit me, it's the same with a lot of Canon explorers. Peter Hurley knows how to pose people. That's really what he does, he's posing faces. Lindsay Adler, you know, posing genius. Um, and it's the same kind of thing. It's, it's a common thread, I think, in, in a lot of ways in Canon Explorers of Light is you know how to work with the human form, as it were. So let me just tell everybody really, really quick here. 
uh, there are links to everything that we've talked about at BehindTheShot.tv. Uh, so head up there. Also, while you're up there, there's all the different ways you can subscribe to the podcast, whether it be audio only format, whether it be video format, whether it be you want to go to YouTube. The video itself is available wherever you get your podcasts as well, assuming that that podcast catcher app supports video. Otherwise, there is an audio only feed. And in that case, you'll probably need to go look at the photo we're about to talk about at the website, which is BehindTheShot.tv. So I mentioned that I had DJed for 18 years. What I found was, I'm a hopeless romantic. At the end of every wedding, there was a song by Michael Cohen that I loved. And I would play it for a bride and groom at the end of a wedding for me. If I kind of got the bride and groom, right? There were bride and grooms I didn't play it for. And nobody knew that. It was just a thing for me that, look, I, I see you two together for life and I'm playing this song for you. And you have no idea why. It's just me, right? Being a hopeless romantic to me was, in my opinion, a key part of the success of any wedding ven vendor, right? Those clients know if you're doing it as a job or if you actually are in some way invested in them on a mm -hmm. kind of a personal level, which brings me to the about page that I mentioned I liked. <laughs> you have a quote on there. This is going to come. I hope none of this comes back to haunt you. The truth is, I just love marriage and being a part of one of the most important times in my couple's lives. That's the attitude right there. How important do you think that attitude is in being a photographer at a wedding? Oh, 100%. Actually, I recently said it less eloquently to a friend of mine. I said, um, I just take better pictures when I give a <laughs> Because... That's the truth. Like, and actually the picture that we're going to talk about has to do with that. Like I, I loved this couple so much. I get to photograph her sister's wedding next month and I just can't wait for it because I know I love them. I love their family. I love, I follow them on social media. I'm like up to date on actually these two have a baby now. I'm like up to date on the baby. And you have to be emotionally invested at times when I was burnt out with photography, cause you get burnt out. That just happens. My way of getting over that and pushing past that was to find a way to fall in love with my clients again, emotionally invest myself in them. Because if I look at them as people and fall in love with them as people, then the pictures are just a byproduct of that. So I think it's essential. I agree. And you capture them. And that what you just said, though, about, you know, giving uh, is, is the same thing of, of, is the same, just no big deal is the same thing as what I was talking about at the, about the song, right? When I, when I really made a connection with people and when I, when I, I had weddings I did where I knew the groom longer than the bride. Cause I did his first wedding. Right. And nice. what's interesting though, was at any given wedding, I don't care if it's their third wedding, right? At any given wedding on that day to that bride and groom, it's everything and it's forever. And it's mm -hmm. at that day, it's the most important part of their life, which is awesome. I am curious because again, as when I DJed weddings, I won't photograph them. <laughs> when I DJed them though, I worked with a lot of great wedding photographers. What's the biggest misconception of wedding photography? 
Oh, that's a hard one because you have everything. Usually it's based off the experience of a bridesmaid or groomsman at a wedding. And it's, oh, wedding photographers are always taking up so much time or they're really snotty or they're bossy or completely don't have any control whatsoever. So from their point of view, it's that from the photography industry point of view, we're like the bottom of the food chain, you know, like, oh, you're just a wedding photographer, which I can understand because it's really hard work. Everything else that I do is like, this is easy compared <laughs> to shooting a wedding. Um, so I get that. Okay. It's that uh, not an art form in a lot of people's opinion. See, and I, well, there are, I'm going to use an image competition type term here. So if you don't know image competitions, mm-hmm. this is going to lose everybody out there. But in image competitions, you tend to get something known as merits, which is like a scoring system yes. that you get. And a friend of mine who's also a wedding photographer, Troy Miller, uh, uses a phrase. And that is when an image comes up and it's like, okay, he'll say that's going to get green merits. Meaning the bride and groom or their family probably paid for that and they love it and it's fantastic, right? Not necessarily Mm -hmm. piece of art, not necessarily even a great photograph, but to them, they're going to cry when they see it. There's a place for that. But I would argue the people like you, the people like the Dennis Ritchies of the world, um are creating art. They may be even photojournalistic. Like you have a photojournalistic style about you, by the way, but they're yeah. art still. <laughs> I, would, I would agree. Yeah. Well, when we get into the image, I'll talk to you about how. Okay, so let's do that then. So first of all, to everybody watching on YouTube, <laughs> quick reminder, hit the subscribe button. It's right down. I got to figure out which side this is going to be on YouTube. It's here <laughs> or here. Right. It's one of those places. Yonder. Yonder. Yeah, yonder. <laughs> Click the subscribe button. Hit the bell. Blah, blah, blah. Yada, yada, yada. I'll do the New York uh, Seinfeld reference. Um, so <laughs> with that in mind, let's bring up this photograph because this is everything I want in a wedding photo. Literally, this is everything I want. And I'm going to try and describe this verbally. I butcher it every time, but it's fun. And, and I get comments of people saying, you know, you missed this or you saw this or something like that. So for those of you on an audio feed, as always, I recommend you go to BehindTheShot.tv and find the blog post for this episode and go look at the photo if you are listening on an audio-only version because seeing the photo helps. So let me describe this to you. There, it, It's a horizontal shot. It's kind of a you know your standard you know two-by-three type shot. The bride's lined up exactly on the left rule of third. Top of her head is at the top rule of third. I mean, it's actually com- compositionally, it's perfectly laid out beautiful, elegant dress, like actually one of the prettiest wedding dresses I've seen. I love that style of wedding dress. But then here's the thing. There's a veil coming off of her head. Obviously, that's where a veil would be. And it's going out to all corners of the image up in the air. And I should add vantage point wise, Vanessa is above the bride shooting kind of down at the bride. Uh, and the bride, where her face is, which is above mid, you know, mid horizon, her face is above that, and the 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 veil is coming in and literally framing her. A couple of interesting things here, by the way. Cheers to the makeup artist here, because <laughs> really, honestly, it's not only great looking eye makeup with this elegant dress, right? It's a very elegant styled look, but this photograph. I think that's part of the key. This photograph gets that. It captures that. And I like that. Gorgeous earrings too, by the way. I, I would buy those for my wife. <laughs> um, this could be 
a marketing image for the jewelry, the earrings, for the dress, for Mac makeup or whoever's makeup it is, right? Interesting thing also is the way the lighting is done. It's very, very soft light. The light is coming from frame left, camera left, and lighting her face extremely softly and falling off very smooth, but in such a way that you can see through the veil. Like there's bushes back there, I think. Uh, is that bushes? No, it's a wall. <laughs> really? Okay, it's got kind of a texture to it that's kind of cool. It, um, it's a textured wall, yeah. Okay, so just gorgeous. And I should say that even though the bride is on the left side of the frame, left rule of third, and it's nothing but veil on the right, the bride is also looking out. I mean, her eyes are closed technically, but her, she's facing out of the frame on the left side. Mm -hmm. So uh, pretty good description. Did I do it? I would say so. Yeah. Uh, okay. So let's talk technical and then get into the art stuff. Uh, Canon, you're a Canon Explorer of Light. It's obviously a Canon 1DX Mark II. Mm -hmm. uh, yes. It's a 50 millimeter 1.2 lens. Do you tend to use primes? I do actually. Well, this is pre mirrorless, pre my mirrorless switch. Anyway, I used all primes 24, 35, 50, 85, 135, 100 macro. And then I did bring a 7200 that I almost never picked up. <laughs> that 100 macro, I love that for portraits, actually. It, a lot of people do. I actually only used it for, uh, for macro shots. <laughs> I bought okay. it out at the beginning of the day, and that was it. So you've switched to mirrorless now. So you're using what, an R5, R6? I'm using an R5 and the 28 to 70 F2 lens has replaced my 24, 35 and 50. Okay. I just don't bring them. Yeah. So this shot, EXIF data shows you shot this on manual. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. Exposure was 1 400, ISO 320, F2, perfect. It shows white balance manual. Yes. Do you set your white balance in camera when you're shooting a shot like this normally? I almost always shoot my white balance, put my white balance in manual when I'm shooting. Uh, until the R5, I sort of relaxed about that a little bit because I think it's better at getting the white balance that I want. But usually I'm dialing it in. But you are shooting raw, obviously. Mm -hmm, I am. Okay. But it but gives you a, it gives you a more my... accurate preview on the back. Is that what it is? Well, yes, but then also on weddings, I tend to do a lot of same day edits. And for that, I'm just oh. using a small JPEG. So I don't want the heaviness of the raw file and I don't really want to edit it that much. With the R5 now, uh, you know, I wirelessly just put it on my phone and I run through Lightroom and then I airdrop them the photos. Okay, so yeah, if sense. I can get it as exact, it makes my life easier. So there's something about this shot that made no sense to me. And it could yeah. be for a number of different reasons. First of all, the F2, Oh my God, mm -hmm. the F2 is the, in my head, F2 is so shallow. And yet yeah. here, everything you need in her face, her ears, everything is in focus, but the fall off is so sweet. It's just so smooth. But this is one four hundredth of a second. Mm -hmm. And that seems really high. I mean, granted, yeah. you were, you're only at 320 ISO on a 1DX, which is like nothing, right? Yeah. Um, was the 400 it, to control the ambient light because at F2 you were you were getting too much light? Was it to freeze the veil? What what was the idea of that? Um, 
who do you think is holding that veil? Well, that was one of my questions was, did somebody throw, are you holding it? Veil, camera. <laughs> Hold on. And do that again? I think I had someone veil here. I'm holding it and moving it. So it's just perfectly moving above or where I want it to on her face. So I'm adjusting that and then I'm holding my camera. So it gets a little shaky after a minute. <laughs> so this is, okay. So this is a one-handed shot with a 1DX mm -hmm. Mark II, which is not light, by the way. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and a prime 51.2, which is not light, by the way, lens. Uh, see, I told you wedding photography was hard, people. Go try doing that. Got to work out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, it's the yoga. It's all the yoga. It's all the uh, yoga. <laughs> so how are you being elevated? Are you standing on a chair or a stool or what? She is seated and I'm just standing. Oh, okay. So you're not elevated. It kills the title of the show. You're not elevated. She's lowered. Okay, cool. Okay. Well, you elevate yourself by pushing people down. That's some sort of nasty thing. You, you got to do what you got to do, right? But here's, if you're holding this with one hand, how's it being spread? So I have the control on the top and then uh, either my assistant or my husband who is shooting video at this wedding is holding the other corner. Uh, and then on the left side, that's my elbow holding the, holding it out on the left side while I'm pulling up. You front. are... Wow. Okay. See, I love when this happens because I got to tell you, if I was looking at this shot and like sometimes I don't do a lot of flash photography and music photography, obviously, but sometimes when I look at a flash shot or a lit shot, artificially lit shot, I mean, we all shoot light. To me, there's, okay, there's natural light, but really you're a light photographer, not a natural light photographer. But if I were trying to reverse engineer this elbow in the air, is not one that I would have gotten. Okay, just let's go yeah. there. You're known for your posing. I mentioned it earlier. You have the the guide on it. Explain the pose here because her looking, uh, you know, down and out of the frame. In most images, most most people will tell you that when you have somebody near one edge of the frame, you want what's called nose room and them looking in the frame. Now, again, these are mm -hmm. quote unquote rules. They exist for a reason. Know them first but break them when it works. Don't just break them to break them, break them when it works. And this is that example to me. For some reason, I think I know what it is. I'm curious what you think. Her looking out of the frame, even though she's close to that edge, with her eyes closed and that soft light on her, accentuates that that flowing veil coming into her. And if she was looking, I, I don't think, here's the way to word it. Let's just take this and say she was looking to the other side. Having a whole bunch of veil in front of her face would have actually been weird. Mm -hmm. Like she had to look through it. Here, the veil doesn't feel like she's having to look. Explain to me the idea. I'm not going anywhere with this. Well, it's a couple of things. So one, this is window light and I wanted a really soft oh. light on her. So that means I had to get her as close to the window as possible. And obviously I want her looking towards the light. So the window is right at the edge of that frame. So I couldn't put the veil that way. And even if I did put the veil that way, it would have blown out. So it wouldn't have looked good. Pushing it the other way allows it to do the opposite. It actually goes darker, which lets her face and you know the dress be something that's more illuminated in the photograph having the veil go that way, which if I did the other way, your eye would have gone to a blown out veil. But for me, like her looking 
down this way, it becomes circular. Uh, and I'm a bad photographer because oh. I don't know the name of that thing. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, <laughs> the, it's the, the, the Fibonacci spiral. That's it. The go- yes, golden the spiral. spiral. Yeah. yeah. So oh, for yeah, me, that, it does right. that because she's she's turning down this way and then you can follow the veil up and out. She's a, yeah, if you laid a, if you laid a golden spiral on this, it is dead on. Yeah. Wow. That's oh see. And that's what I'm talking about, about rules is yeah, rules exist. And I, I keep having people say to me, rules, they're not really rules. They're d- rules are dumb. They're bondage, break the rules. Well, <laughs> but all of these rules exist based on the master painters and everything. And we've learned how the human body likes to see how humans perceive light, how humans perceive geometrical shapes. You laid this out on a Fibonacci spiral. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so aside from the composition genius here that even subconsciously works, I love this type of veil image, right? Where people, the bride and groom are up on a hill and an assistant throws the veil up in the air. My buddy Troy, I mentioned earlier, his wife throws him up in the air as he captures it. Um, I love this type of look because the veil is important. I mean, the bride picks these things. These are important moments. But when you're shooting these type of veil shots, is there something that makes is there something that, that makes these work? And is there anything that makes them fail? Like if somebody tried yes. to do this that had never done it, what's the ah, don't do that moment? Uh, shooting it too wide because it distorts the face really easily. And this is actually an example of a time where I backed off a little bit because she did have a cathedral veil, which is much longer. A lot of times I get a little bit closer and go vertical and it works almost any time you do it because you have them down and you're shooting above, which just slims all them down, gives them that jawline, gives them the cheek line, uh, especially where the light is, it's just going to fill in under eye circles. So it just, it's like that bridal moment. Anytime you put a veil anywhere on a wedding day, right? It's a bridal moment. Right. Exactly. So it always works because of that. But the easy mistakes are, um, you know, getting too wide of a lens and then getting too close and distorting it. It doesn't look good, but also eye direction. Because if you have them like looking out the window, looking up and you get all the whites of the eyes in there, it, it looks strained. So eye direction is really important. And I mildly failed that actually here. And it's one of the reasons that it kills whoa, me to look whoa. at this picture whoa, sometimes. Whoa, okay. You admitted it. So I have to go there. How? Where's the mistake? Um, so I had her turn a little bit too much because her nose is breaking her face plane. Oh, right. Right. Um, which which is technically, it's like the no-no. Yeah, yes. I mean, again, unless it works, right? And and what mm. what uh, Vanessa is talking about here is there's this there's this idea they use this in image comps. By the way, you will get scored off in image comps if when you turn sideways, your nose doesn't stay within your cheek. If you turn enough that it pokes out on its own, um, and I understand it, but I mean. Yeah. Okay. And the other I, thing I, I see did as many shots to do that that I like. Yeah. So to me, I, I, I would disagree with you. I don't think that's a failure here at all. <laughs> is, is it, you know, I just thought of this because I would have said this was a softbox. I was going to ask you, did you use oh, artificial right. light as a softbox? If it's a window light, are you, is, so the veil is between her and the window. So the veil is helping as a diffuser here? Yes, it is. I mean, and it is a big softbox. That's all the window is. Or that's all softboxes is a window. I knew you were good, but this is killing me, man. <laughs> uh, 
you you shoot this wedding. You said some days you turn them around quick, but let's take a normal post-processing workflow. You photograph a wedding. Mm -hmm. If you're like most wedding photographers I know, you'll take it back. You do all your backups, et cetera. And you may not touch it for weeks because you got other jobs that you got to do, right? But either way, when these make it onto the computer, what's your normal workflow to edit a shot like this? So pretty much every single wedding, I do edit the same day. And I pick my favorite photos. And those are the ones that I edit. And it's, it's selfish. And it's also marketing. So I like to edit them because they're my pretty pictures of the day and I, I want to edit them, but also because I know if I hand them off to the bride and groom or couple, they're going to share them like crazy. And that's going to be great marketing for me. And they'll be thrilled and it like holds them off until the rest of the pictures are ready. But after that, uh, I pretty much don't touch them. My editors freedom edits do. Can they I, call, I, I, can they I color correct. I, yeah. I got to interrupt. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Um, you made the comment that you edit them that day, but then by giving them to them, they'll wait until the rest of the pictures are done. So you're doing a teaser cull, as I call them. Right. Right. You're not mm -hmm. you're not culling two thousand images. You're speed no. culling and and pulling teaser shots 20, to share right away. Yeah. How Just many? My faves. Twenty, thirty. If I really like the wedding, one hundred and twenty. <laughs> you realize there's a huge gap between twenty and one hundred and twenty, right? I know. I know. <laughs> Sometimes okay. I just get excited. I don't know. So it begs the, the question then, what's a final call include? How many? Uh, for an average like 10 hour wedding day, 800 to 1,000 photos. Is what you'll show the bride in proofs? Mm-hmm. Out of how many? Yes. I'm not a speed shooter. Ironically, even though I do speed posing, I probably only shoot 1,400 images through the day. And my second photographer will shoot 1,214, very selective. I don't, I don't. Right, right. Uh, you know, you could argue though that your skill at posing, the fact that you can pose quickly is the reason you don't have to be a speed shooter. Potentially. It's right, also I mean, because you're getting them posed, thing. you're doing that quickly, you know it's right, you can shoot the shot and get it. It's the people who aren't quick at posing that are like, Click, click, click. You know what? Let's change it. Let's do this. Because they they're, right. they are, for lack of a better phrase, this doesn't really make sense, but they're thinking out loud as they pose. Yeah. Well, that does. They're going through the artful process and taking pictures throughout it versus only taking it at the end. Right, right. Uh, okay. So what when you edit, First of all, you said you do your first edit. You do all the edits as well, or there is a point where you outsource your editing? I outsource a lot of wedding everything. Photographers do. Yeah, I think you have to. One, I just don't have the time, and most wedding photographers won't in the height of wedding season. It's just crazy. Two, freedom edits, quite frankly, they're better at it than I am. And three, I really don't enjoy editing a bunch of dancing photos. Like there's nothing exciting to me about that. Every once in a while, there's the one that I really like, but other than that, like I'm good. I'm going to edit See, my favorites. And sometimes way. I'll go back and I'll edit the raws, you know, or if I know there's an image that's like really wow, like I'll sit there and work on it for fun. But yeah, otherwise freedom edits does it. They upload to the online gallery and makes my life easier. Who's the company? Freedom Edits. They're actually okay, based out of Wales. Yeah. See, I'm, I'm kind of the same way. And that is there are nights that I'll come back from a concert and I like to sit down and bury myself in it. 
But in general, mm-hmm. it's like, I really only want to edit that shot, right? Yeah. That's the one that I see something in and I want to edit it 15 different ways. Yep. Because that one, spe- you know, in all honesty, in my particular case, growing up watching music pictures, you know, people, the artists that I loved in, in photograph, it's still to me all about that image that connects with me as a photographer. And sometimes not all my images do. They're all marketable. They're all usable. They're all useful for editorial, perhaps. Not all. Green merit, say right? all. I'm a music <laughs> photographer, like 5% are, but still. <laughs> However, there are those that just speak to me, and those are the ones that I really care, when, care to edit. When you, when you do edit, Lightroom, Capture One, what are you using? Both. It depends on what I want to edit. If I'm going to edit a bunch of different pictures or I'm on mobile and I know I want to do a bunch of like skin smoothing, retouching, things like that, I'll do that in Lightroom because I have presets for all those kinds of things. I have those presets in Capture One, but it's a little bit more tedious in my opinion to do that in Capture One. However, I like editing Capture One if I've just got that one image and I want to skin balance that image because their skin balancing tool in Capture One is remarkable. It's amazing. Uh, I also think it does a better job at reading the highlights and shadows. So I'll use Capture One when I want to like pull more from the image. Uh, so yeah, I use both. I like them both. Cap- Capture One to me uh, is, I don't use Capture One, but I have friends who do. The guy I mentioned earlier, Troy, he switched over. And the people that I know that use it all say the same thing. It's a much better raw engine than Lightroom. It is. Like its interpretation yeah, of raw so. data is way better than Lightroom, but, you know, learning curve, um, you know, from, from a time <laughs> I took a two-day class, actually. <laughs> on Capture One? On Capture One, yeah. I really wanted, to, I liked it. I liked it for tethering. It's a lot more solid for tethering because right. that's really what it was intended to be. And I took a two-day class over my birthday, actually, and uh, and just learned it. And I'm so glad I did because, yeah. again, I still use Lightroom. I think Lightroom is better at the workflow management than Capture One is and the speed of things. Uh, but that also could be because I know it a lot better. And in some ways, if you ever go into Photoshop, it's it's also, you know, obviously tighter integrated with the rest of the Adobe suite. But right. what on an, on an image like this, what would you have done? Anything huge or are your edits pretty mild? This one was pretty mild. I did take out, I believe, some of the other colors, uh, particularly blue. So if I'm using natural light, the veil will catch the blue. Uh, and really be very distracting. So tone that down. You can still see it on the left-hand side a little bit, some of the blue tones. Uh, And then I did do frequency separation on her face to smooth out her skin. Okay. Uh, Yeah, people look up frequency separation if you haven't. It's actually scary easy once you know how, and there's a bunch of actions out there that will automatically do the separation and only ask you the questions that you need to know. I don't use it a ton, but when I have it, it can save actually in cases, certain issues. I know friends who use frequency separation when they have a dress with a lot of lace and there's an mm-hmm. issue and they need to patch the dress because they can separate the texture of the dress out. Right. Yep. So there's a lot of people who have been asked by a friend, oh, photograph, because they're, a, you know, Uncle John has a camera, right? And they photograph a wedding only to end up saying, I will never do that again. <laughs> because it was so hard for that person, that person who their niece said, Hey, uncle Steve, would you come photograph my wedding? And uncle Steve is not smart enough to go. No, 
right? Uncle Steve goes, <laughs> of course I will. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? What's your, what's your best single tip to help people get to a wedding and succeed more? Oh gosh. The biggest thing about wedding photography is just anticipating the action because that's ultimately the only thing that really matters in the wedding is the emotion, the moments, the fleeting little details. So if you can just learn to shoot with both eyes open, I find that to be very beneficial. Actually, I just did that same tip. Uh, Hands-on photography, mm -hmm. Aunt Pruitt asked me to come on and do, he's getting different photographers to come on and just give their one of their favorite tips. Action photography, which a wedding is, keeping both eyes open can literally mean getting a shot that you would not have seen if the only eye you had open was looking through a lens. Yeah, it's true. I'll like set up a shot like I know I'm going to take that. And as I'm taking it, I'm already looking somewhere else. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. I love that. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so here's the question that I don't warn anybody about because I like to be a surprise. Okay. And if you don't have an answer, that's fine. If you got 15 answers, that's fine. But okay. who's a photographer or artist out there that you think people should know about and follow? And it may be somebody that they already follow. And it may be somebody that, you know what, you, you guys probably don't know person X, but my God, you got to know person X. Who's a photo photographer or artist people should know about and go follow? You know, I have to say, everyone asked me at least a similar question, like, you know, who are you inspired by? Who's your favorite photographer? And I just have zero answers for that. I really do. Because if I only followed one person, that's back when I was first starting out 20 years ago, and there was no internet and there was no social and there was no website. And the only people that could inspire me were the people in my small circle, which I was inspired by this guy, Stephen Kramer. Once my eyes were open to like the rest of the world and other ways to shoot, it, it's night and day. So in my opinion, you shouldn't follow, you know, or you have to follow just one person. You have to follow a lot of people. But I mean, on social media, people. like you mentioned Stephen Kramer. Uh, so I'll yeah. find the link to Stephen Kramer's website and, and put that in the blog post because it's not even so much follow as an emulate, just somebody that they yeah. should go to Instagram and click the follow button on. Because I agree and with you, by the way, photographer. I learn more from non-music photographers. I, I, yes. Strike that. Take two. I'm often more inspired by non-music photographers than I am music photographers. Like the, the yeah. way somebody will take, I just had Jonathan Scott on, the big cat people. And uh, Jonathan Scott shoots in the Maasai Mara in Nairobi, Kenya. And we did a picture called Scarface, the real Lion King. And it's a, it's a portrait of a lion basically, but it's a portrait and it's a really close up type portrait. And it focuses on everything I want in a portrait. And I learned from that. So I'll, I'll look up the person you mentioned. Is there anybody else that people should click the follow button on? It's, I have to say, it's really hard to say, but I will tell you that I feel like I finally got to the point of mastering and understanding lighting by looking at a friend of mine and how he shoots special effects makeup. Uh, and it's really creepy. And there's like demons and witches on there and okay. like zombies. Um, but the way that I saw him control light on like, let's just say um, a zombie face with like blood open and cuts and his decision to either enhance those cuts or 
hide those like prosthetic edges, taught me how to do the same thing for women with fine lines and, you know, shaping Ooh, good, and molding good light. Time. Yeah. Who is it? Mm -hmm. uh, his name's Seth Miranda. His oh, okay. Instagram is last X witness. This whole story behind that. Um, don't look at it when your kids are around. Cause like I was scared of this stuff when I first saw it. <laughs> it's really a little creepy, but, um, but then when you realize what's actually happening there in the light, I was like, Oh yeah. Okay. It's that controllable. I like the way that you tied it in though, to using that on, on brides or whatever that have, you know, lines or cracks in their skin, because in a man, mm -hmm. we tend to photograph them and think that's a face with character, but no woman generally would want to see her own picture that way. <laughs> right. I mean, right. Interesting. So before we close out, I just, for those of you on audio, if you're on video, you've been seeing lower thirds come up that are giving all the social media links and, and, uh, at tags and URLs to different websites that Vanessa is involved in. But I want to I want to say them all verbally. So correct me if I'm wrong on any of these, which is entirely possible because me. VanessaJoy.com <laughs> is the main website. Yes. Yes. That's the about page that I loved. BreatheYourPassion.com. <laughs> Explain that one. That is all the education, all just a home for that. And if you don't want to go there, you can just go to VanessaJoy.com. There's a little thing in the menu. It says ProEDU. So it's all the education I provide for not just photographers, for wedding, small business industry type people too. Okay. And then uh, we've got VanessaJoyPhotographyBlog.com. Uh, yeah. That's your blog. <laughs> Facebook is VJoyPhoto. So at mm -hmm. VJoyPhoto. VanessaJoy on Instagram. Uh, VanessaJoy on YouTube as well. Uh, so yes. lots of great YouTube content, by the way. Go to YouTube, people. Thank you. Twitter is the one I want to really call out because oh. people will mistype it. Vanessa underscore underscore. So there's two underscores joy. So Vanessa double underscore joy. Did I miss any that, that we need uh, to get out I don't there? think so. The, the Twitter one kills me, though, because it was before like I understood social media when I signed up for Twitter and realized no one would notice there's two underscores there. <laughs> yeah, I, I yeah, didn't get the, the same thing everywhere, and it haunts me to this day at times. I used to have a different Twitter, and I, I finally realized my name was available, and I switched at like 3 o'clock in the morning because I was afraid when I canceled this one that somebody – that one wouldn't be there, and I wouldn't be able to go back or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, your book, obviously, again, available on Amazon and everywhere else. And your free posing guide is available as well. Follow the links. Everything's on the website, behindtheshot.tv. And uh, you can get everything there. So Vanessa, thank you so much for doing this. Really seriously, it's been a joy to meet you. Oh, no pun intended. I hope the pun was intended. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I use that pun in the blog post. So oh, good. <laughs> I, I, human. Uh, so again, to my guest, Vanessa Joy, thanks so much for joining me. Make sure you check out the blog post that I wrote about Vanessa. It's just a small blurb. And then, you know, five or six shots of Vanessa's work. It's all at BehindTheShot.tv. Links to everything that we've discussed here are also at BehindTheShot.tv. Head up there, read, watch. You can, of course, also subscribe as an audio format-only podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Wherever you get your podcasts, if that format or if that platform app, whatever supports video. You can also get it in a video format. And of course, the videos are also up on YouTube. I'm going to say it one last time. If you're watching on YouTube, go down, click, move over, 
click the bell. If you don't smash the bell, I could do something and you may not know about it. For example, the live critique shows that I do with my buddy Don Komarechka, we do those once a month where we uh, select images from the Behind the Shot Flickr group. We bring them on the show. Don and I have a guest come on. There's three of us. We go through nine images and we critique them. Those are live streamed to YouTube. So if you're not catching those, it may be because you didn't go click the bell on YouTube. Make sure that you do. Other than that, I'm Steve Brazel. As always, thanks for watching. We will see you on the next show. Thank you.